Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to USA Football's Coach and Coordinator Podcast, where top football coaches from around the country share their stories, philosophies, concepts, and strategies to help you get better on and off the field. Now, here's your host, Keith Grabowski. Before we get going with today's podcast, I just wanted to share a couple things with you. Number one, please check out the Football for All podcast. It's designed for your youth audience, but if you are the head football coach who really runs everything in your community. I think it'll be very helpful to you. It explains what we're doing with the football development model, as well as get some good perspective from different types of stakeholders, whether those be current or former NFL players, current high school, college, or NFL coaches, as well as parents and commissioners. It's really designed for that parent, commissioner, and coach group from your youth audience And I think it'd be helpful if you would push coaches that way. Also, as you get going here and the country opens up, I know getting your players in shape and getting them ready with some of the skills they need, like tackling, blocking, and defeating blocks are going to be important, but you're probably going to be limited as far as contact goes right now. Check out our contact system, which is designed for all those types of things. You won't see a single drill really with any helmet on, and there's very few drills where shoulder pads are required You could get those going now to really work on some of those skills and fundamentals and check out our advanced tackling system designed around the five fights. I think you'll really find that that's an excellent coaching system as well. Check those out at footballdevelopment.com. Here we go with today's podcast. Enjoy. On today's podcast, we're going to talk a little bit about building a career and, and being able to move through different levels of coaching, of being able to coach on both sides of the ball and the importance of teaching and the details that go into uh, all the things that we do as a football coach. And joining me today to talk about all those things is the assistant head coach and running backs coach at Texas Southern, Dallas Blacklock. Dallas, it's great to have you here today. Keith, man, great to be on today, man. Uh, You've done a great job with your podcast and love what you're doing with USA Football. Man, I'm a USA Football guy myself, so I'm very happy to be, be on here with a USA Football guy. Well, Coach, as we get started here, let's let's focus on the beginning for you and really the inspiration to become a coach. What was it that drove you towards this profession? I think it was – I had a year in college. I went to McPherson College in Kansas, NAIA uh, football, man. Shout out to all my NAIA football guys out there. But I had a year that I had to sit out, and I sat out that year because I had an injury. And during that year – I basically became like a student coach, man. And, you know, one of my coaches, David Penningham, told me, he said, coach, he said, Dallas, he said, you have a 
you have a career in coaching. And and I, I didn't think about it then, but it just kind of took over me. And so during that year, man, I just became like an extra coach for him. I was able to come back and play, but that sparked it for him. And I was like, man, maybe I can do this. I got a call after I graduated, just out of the blue, from the principal at my high school that I graduated from. And they basically offered me a job just out of nowhere. I had never even thought about coming back home, never even thought about actually going into coaching. I knew it was something that I wanted to do. But when I got that phone call, I said, okay, this is a sign. This is this is God saying this is what you need to do. And I came back to Houston and started coaching at my alma mater at Sharpstown High School. And pretty quickly, you worked your way up to being the head coach. And you were the head coach there for two years before you made the jump to the college level. But you know, look at that part of the experience and where you are right now. How, I guess, instrumental was that for you in really working at that level first? I think it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I think it, for all the high school coaches out there, I, first of all, I think I'd be remiss about this. The best coaching is done at the high school level. That's just my opinion because it's, it's where you generate your creative thoughts, all your ingenuity comes from, and you have to be very creative in your approach to things and very flexible in how you implement schemes and things like that because you don't have the resources, you don't have the excess of players and you don't you're not able to go out and recruit and those things. So you gotta be very creative. And I think that's what, you know, sparked my ingenuity as far as, as a coach and learning to do things, you know, differently and try to be more effective and, and do more with less. And so that's where that start came from, man. And then from there it kind of took off. You know, I got a chance to meet a ton of college coaches as they came through my doors and sat down. And the one thing that I did, Keith, man, I everybody that came through my office, I asked them to get on the board. I wanted to learn. I wanted to be a sponge. I'm like, man, teach me something, whether it was about recruiting, whether it was something about just being on the college level, their their path to get that way. But I wanted to know more about, you know, football and not even have an aspiration to go to the college level. But I just wanted that information and wanted to be a sponge. And I got hooked up doing some football camps like a lot of us do when we were high school coaches, helping our guys, coaching camps, and just being a cone guy, you know, setting up the cones for guys and things like that. From there, I, I worked some camps at University of Houston. Well, head coach Tony Levine was there, and I got really – I became really good friends with um, Zach Spavitar. And I would work all of Zach's camps, and by the time summer was over, I was running all of his drills for him. And opportunity came at Houston. He gave me a call, and I took off. The rest was history. I started off as a director of high school relations and kind of just ran with it. Yeah. Well, I, I want to take a step back, too, because you did have the opportunity to become a head coach. And, you know, I, I, I did that as well before I made the move to the college level. And, and for me, there was something about being a head coach that made me a better assistant coach did you find that to be true as well absolutely I think if, as a head coach and a lot of guys who are head coaches now whether they're on a college level or on on high school you want coaches that want to be head coaches or you want coaches that want to be coordinators because the mindset that they have is, is different you know they understand the whys of a lot of things and so me developing that on a high school level and becoming a high school head I was at the time I may have been one of the youngest head coaches in the city of Houston I was like 29 years old, and it was it was it was a learning experience for me. But as a head coach in high school, you know that you know you you're you are a football coach first, and then you're the head coach. 
And so if something is not being done or if, if a coach is not there, you know, you become that coach for that day. And so that really propelled me because I had to learn how to coach offensive line. I had to learn how to coach defensive line. I had to learn how to coach running backs. And those things helped me because then I knew what to expect now from somebody else if I was working for them, if that makes sense. Definitely. In looking at that first role you had, being the high school relations coach, really getting to know the high school coaches around the state, how did that really, I guess, aid you as you've moved along in the career? Because, you know, right now you also take on that role of the recruiting coordinator. So how, how did it help you in that first experience being the high school relations guy? I'll be honest with you, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't, I didn't know what the heck the high school relations director was supposed to do. So I knew, and I think Coach Levine knew as well, that I had a lot of friends and I had a lot of connections around the Houston area. And, and, and that was one of the things that allowed me to become successful at that position because uh, there were guys that I could contact, guys that I knew from, just from the city and from the area that I could pick up and call and maybe have a more candid and open conversation with than maybe the, you know, the defensive line coach or the wide receiver coach or whoever that was. And so I could find out things and be able to get into some rooms that other guys couldn't just because of my previous relationship being their peer. And so that really helped me. And then I found out more about my role as time, time went on and I became that extra recruiter for uh, that staff and, uh, became an on-campus recruiter for the staff as well. And so that really helped. And, you know, of course, we did a lot of things with camps and clinics and uh, coaching clinics for high school uh, uh, coaches. And that was the thing, being able to connect and bridge the gap between our staff and high school football coaches in the state of Texas. And that really helped me because I got an opportunity at that point to to know a ton of football coaches. And a lot of football coaches got a chance to know me. And that those relationships, man, just sparked and it just became a flame. And now I think that's what really helps me in this role that I'm in now as a recruiting coordinator as well. So in some of the experiences you've had here, which I think is unique, you've you've been on both sides of the ball now, uh, receivers, running backs, defensive backs, linebackers. And before we got going, you attribute a lot of that to being a, a teacher and putting an emphasis on teaching. Right. I definitely think it, it falls back on teaching. And like I said, that goes back to my high school. Uh, I was a, a resource English teacher in high school. I taught leadership and I taught ELA. And so being able to do that and teaching special ed, you have to learn how to adapt learning and you have to make learning fun. And so those were things that I prided myself on as a teacher. And then carrying it over onto the football field, I think it's no different. You have to continue to make learning fun. You have to continue to be able to adapt your learning because every kid or every student athlete in your room, they're all going to learn different. And you have to understand that there's three phases to learning. You got some kids are visual, some kids are auditory, some kids are tactile or kinesthetic. Like being able to know that and find out their learning modality then helps you to become a better teacher and how you convey that information to them now is the most important thing. It's not about the information, but how you convey it to them now becomes the most important thing. And so that's one of the first things that I try to do is find out how does my player learn? How does he learn? How does he best learn? Because we always, I don't think there's a dumb player. I just think players learn differently. And so when you find out how that player learns, then you can be able to help him. And then 
of course, it's going to just, you know, uh, it's going to push him forward and, and just propel him to, to get on the field a whole lot faster than he probably would. So those things help me because now I can call myself a teacher. Then I call myself a football coach. And it doesn't matter what side of the ball I'm on, man. I, I tell people all the time, I coach whatever, man. Just, you know, just give me the whistle and tell me what you want to get, get done. Well, in, in looking at this and thinking about, you know, what you said, you know, being a high school coach, learning to adapt, learning to be creative, add on to that the importance to you and the emphasis you put on teaching and knowing these kids. And so we look at where you were the, the, the previous three seasons, you were running the receiver's room. And, you know, on any staff, you get to know all those kids, but maybe not directly work with them. And so you go into the role of being the running backs coach now. You're running that room. And, you know, at some point in the spring, like everybody faced, everything was shut down. And you got to be creative again and and how you're going to teach this. And and probably, you know, quite a few people didn't even know what Zoom was maybe three or four months ago. And everybody knows what that is now and how to use it. But for you... With that challenge, I guess a couple things. You're certainly on the teaching end of it, especially now as as some of this gets relaxed and you guys are getting ready to get back on the field, but also on the, the culture side of it too. You have to build that unity in the room. So what was your approach here as you were faced with this new challenge of guys actually not being in front of you? Yeah, I think the first thing, Keith, was making sure that my, my players were okay their well-being i wanted them to know and understand that i care about your well-being during this time and so we start off the first part of our every meeting or every running back meeting and it's not about football it's about what's going on with you how you doing you know how's your parents you know anything i can help you with i mean that first five to seven minutes is important for them because they get opportunity then to know that it's coach cares a little bit more about just football. And, and after that, I, I, we dive, you know, knee deep into it, but those first five to seven minutes are critical and crucial because, I mean, it's the age I was saying, you know, before, you know, you want to tell a kid, you know, what to do. You, they got to first know that you love them. They got to first know that you care. And so that's what I do every day, man. And we laugh. Sometimes it's jokes, you know, it could be, it could be anything, but something to break the ice during this time. And then from there, I have their attention and they're ready to learn because they've gotten it all out. And now it's okay. Now let's sit down and let's get to work. And, uh, and those things we treated just like if we were in our meeting room, I mean, they're sitting in front of their screen, they're sitting down, they have a, a notepad, they have their pen there and they're taking notes. And those things are important because I truly believe like if you write things down, you have more of a tendency to actually recall and remember the information that you learn so i make them write down everything even though it may be printed on paper we write down everything because it'll help them remember what they're learning so those things you know we do every day and so um but i think the first thing is man that five to seven minutes of just like icebreaker what's going on how you doing is very important for right now and what we're facing coach getting into I guess the the next part of it, right? It's not just about right now you're going to teach them the X's and O's. You have to get these guys ready to work together, right? To have have the right mindset to be buying into the overall culture of the program and and then obviously, you know, there's all these these mini cultures that go into a football program. It's it's like a 
a network of all the little cultures because every every room has some differences and who those guys are and what they're expected to do, et cetera. So how do you go about building that remotely? I think it's, it's that's unique, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's probably one of the most important things on the staff. And I think uh, our head coach, man, Coach McKinney, he stresses it stressed it early on on when he got there and took over the job like you are the head coach of your room and so as as I build this staff and how I'm building this staff with the culture with the discipline you have to be the the same way in your room in your room you're the head coach of that room and so you have to be able to create leadership within the room you have to create buy-in within the room you have to create a culture within your room and those are things that I make sure we take time to do. And a lot of it is doesn't come from football. I mean, like I'm a fisherman, so I go out and I fish all the time, man. And I'll come back with a, a ton of fish. And like before we kick the season off, we're going to have a big fish fry at my house. And everybody's going to come by. We're going to eat. and We're going to have a good time. And that way now we're getting to know each other. Because on the college level, you got guys from all different walks of life, whether they're black, white, Hispanic, green, red, blue, it doesn't matter. They come from different cultures. And you got to be able to tear down those walls. And so one of the things that I learned uh, when I was working with um, Coach Herman at Houston, you know, we did something where we paired our student athletes up and they had to learn about the other, the, the other player. And they became that player. And so they stood up and talked about and sat in the seat of that player. I'm sorry, they didn't stand. They sat in the seat of that player. And talked about that other player, you know, you know, my name is Keith and I, I grew up, you know, in Ohio and, and I told everything about you at, for that moment, I became who you were. And we did that at my house, man. And when I tell you it was groundbreaking, there was some tears that were shed and it totally opened up the floor for everything else that happened for the rest of the season. And so that established a culture of caring. And then from there, the hard work, I mean, I think that comes with, you got to have those older guys. You got to have some leadership within the room that can set the tone for what you want as far as what hard work looks like. And you got to be able to sometimes pull some of those guys aside and be able to say, hey, look, you know, what, what you're doing is good, but I need you to take it to a whole nother level because everybody's watching you. And so if you can get those one or two guys in your room to be able to demonstrate what hard work looks like, the rest of those guys are going to follow. And then you can be able to kind of really push those guys further as you go but uh, those things are important in establishing you know just the culture in your room our culture that we want to have in our room right now is is just mental toughness like we want to be tough and we talk about having a, a pit bull mentality or a mamba mentality like that's what we want in our running back room right now I love that idea of, of really emphasizing that these guys get to know each other I, I can think of a team I had and it was around 2006, I believe, and just a, a group of guys. We needed them to be leaders. They were kind of tight within their own little group, which isn't necessarily good for a team. And, you know, we needed them to step outside of themselves. And I remember that summer, a lot of these guys, you know, this, this senior class, I think all but maybe two of those guys, you know, wanted to be leaders on the team, wanted the opportunity to be a captain. So one of the requirements I made that if, if they were going to be on the ballot is they they had to be able to tell me something about every single one of their teammates and you know, gave them some suggestions to to have a notebook and and uh, maybe write some of those things down and remember them. And you saw those guys like right away, all of a sudden, like you know, keeping in their little group. And I I give them that assignment is like, 
the whole summer they're they're learning about every you know the, the sophomores who haven't played yet and they don't know everybody in that program and it was just so much better than as as we went through the season and we faced some tough times that season with with injuries with some tough tough losses and overtime that kind of stuff and they hung together though right it wasn't you know some of some of the goals we wanted weren't there as the season went along but those guys didn't pack it in they hung together they got better even though you know early on maybe lost a couple games that took them away from their desire to win a championship and those kinds of things and I, I think ultimately though when I look at what those guys are doing now shoot what's you know 14 years later and, and see these guys who you know are out there they got good careers they got kids you know I'm following them on Facebook and like these guys they turned out all right they did all right but but teaching them that you know especially right now and you know in general you and I were talking about this before we got started like right now I think we got to do a better job of of knowing the people around us not just that our own little groups but you know the other people in our neighborhood in our community in our school in our in our company whatever it might be you know I think it's things go a lot better and a lot of the the issues we face get solved a lot quicker if if we know each other Right, right, and I, I think you're spot on with that, man. I think, and I, and I think that comes from exposure. You know, what you expose your, your student athletes to, and what you demand from them. And I think if you demand for them to be exposed not only to just what they're accustomed to, but you know, a lot of more things that are diverse, and allowing them to be able to understand different culture, because they everybody comes from their own culture, and everybody thinks their culture is the best culture or their culture is right. But when you're able to show them something different and, and allow them to think about things differently with an open mind, it, it, it may not change your opinion, but it opens up your heart to be able to receive something different. And I think that's important, especially when you're building a team, because it doesn't matter. I, I could really care less when I play defensive back in college if my defensive end was black or white or if he was Hispanic, you know, because at that moment he's my brother and I hope he contains the freaking outside and doesn't let anybody get outside and so the quarterback can throw the ball up in the air and I can go get a pick. And when I got the pick and I I'm running to hug him because I knew at that moment it wasn't me. It was a it was a it was because he forced it. You know what I mean? And so those things I think we can relate into our own culture that we have to be able to give give way to something greater than ourselves. And I think man that's the greatest thing about this game. That's why it's the greatest sport in the world because it doesn't matter about where we come from, whatever what walk of life we're from, but because we're all brothers and we band together at, for that 60 minutes on the field and for however long that play is, I'm going I'm to I'm give what I have and give all that I have for the guy that's next to me. And I think, man, that's what it's about. And I think, you know, going back to, we talked about the Remember the Titans a little bit, but, it, you know, I hate to sound cliche, man, but that's that's what it's about. It's about us being able to demonstrate for the world what the world should look like. And I think we do it every day we get out on the football field. It's we show the world how they should act and how they should respond because, you know, we come together and it doesn't matter who we are. We're going to play for each other. And I think that's what, that's what it's about. Yeah. And, and I want to, I want to dig into that a, a little bit more. It's an important topic right now and just finish up you know, talking a little bit about your teaching side of things. So we'll get back to that. And, and I know before we got talking, you, you know, you mentioned to me just the distinct difference between the school you were at before Houston and Texas Southern, which are actually only blocks apart. So 
we'll we'll go back to that. But just to finish up this this idea of of building your room, so you know, building the culture and all those important things, and and now you know, especially now, you guys are into the X's and O's here. You are are getting ready. You know, you missed spring. You missed some of those walkthroughs, and so you've you've had to be creative with how you're going to teach these guys those things. So at least mentally, you can hit the ground running here in, in July when you get back out on the field. So what's been the approach to teaching the game remotely? Right. So I think for me, it's important. You know, we're all doing the Zoom meetings and, you know, you have your guys on, on your, your Zoom calls. I have in my room what I call a no opt, no opt out clause. And that means everybody's going to answer the question. You don't have an, an opportunity to opt out and be like, I don't know. I don't know. It's unacceptable. And I think that's important when you're teaching, whether it's virtually or in the classroom, you know, you have to give me a response. And, not, and as, a, as a coach or as a teacher, making sure that that player or that student gives you that response, at least lets them know it's okay to answer. It's okay to not know the answer. It's okay to be wrong. But then I also have a 100% correction rule that if you get it wrong, I'm, we're going to get you the right answer, whether I give it to you or whether one of your peers give it to you. And then you have to come back and repeat that answer correctly. So you don't get an opportunity to get it wrong and just move on. But if you get it wrong, I'm going to give you the right answer to make sure that you get it right. And that goes into what we talk about a lot is making sure that our players, and I know you, you, you're a high school coach or old high school coach, they have to speak our language. And I think that's, that's important. Like, and I tell my guys all the time, speak my language, because when we're communicating on the field, we have to be able to understand what we're talking about. If, if we're calling it dose, you know, which is a two man, you know, box ID for us, you know, don't tell me 42. You know, I want to know that that's dose so we can be able to communicate. And so if there's a situation where a guy doesn't speak my language, we go back to that same response earlier. We're going to get you the right answer and we're not going to, you know, move on until you give me the correct answer. And I think other guys are learning as that situation is happening in, in the room. And I think that's always been important. And it's important right now, especially when you're on the Zoom calls, because you have everybody's attention. Everybody's looking at their screen but it's making sure that we're getting it right and not moving on just to say we just had a meeting. And I think it's also important that you have to have one-on-one -on -one meetings with guys. I mean, and it's, it has to be voluntary because you got our rules on the college level, but if you think you're going to sit in a meeting for 25 to 35 minutes and every student in your room is going to get it, you're sadly mistaken. I promise you, you are sad and say everybody didn't get it. And you, and you know how we do as coaches. Everybody got it? All right, ready? Break. No, everybody didn't get it. And if you thought everybody got it, shame on you. There is some young man in that room who just sat there and didn't get it. And you got to be able to find out who that guy is by building relationships and make sure that you're able to have the one-on-one -on -one meetings where he can ask the question that he thought was dumb or thought was too stupid to ask and be able to get that information. So, that's a lot of what I do throughout the day is those one-on-one -on -one meetings. Guys call me, coach, can I talk to you about this? Coach, can we go over this? And it's more Zoom meetings, but, you know, I don't care as long as they, you know, feel comfortable wanting to learn. I'll tell you, I love what you said about that no opt-out rule. And I don't know being an okay answer because and I'm, I'm sure I made these mistakes before. When you think about it, what happens? That kid says, I don't know. You move to a kid who knows the right answer. 
and you didn't explore exactly why that kid didn't know. You didn't find out about why he didn't know, what, what was confusing to him. So as you work through that, you'd probably go more in depth and now solidify that kid's learning rather than you moved on to the next guy. He gave the answer and that guy's still sitting there. He may know it now. He may not know it now. You don't know that. And so you reinforce that teaching. And because you're doing it that way, probably reinforce it in a lot of other guys in that room. Absolutely. And again, that, that all came man, from, from teaching high school. That's, I mean, those were non-negotiables in our, in, in how we taught high school and how we taught on that level. So I just carry it over to football and it works, man. It works for me. Because you, you mentioned to me before kind of distinct differences in, in the places you've coached, even though they've been just blocks apart in Texas Southern and in Houston. Talk to us a little bit about the differences there, I guess, and what you, you learned from coaching in both of those different situations. As I stated before, man, it was very unique, very unique, because anybody that's been to Houston or has visited Houston or lived in Houston, you know that University of Houston is probably about seven minutes from downtown Houston. What a lot of people don't know is, is that Texas Southern is seven minutes from downtown Houston. And there's literally a street, Scott Street, that separates the two universities. Texas Southern is on one side and University of Houston is on the other side. So they're both in what's called Third Ward, which is a predominantly historically black community. But people don't know that. And so a lot of times, you know, Texas Southern will get a bad rap for where it's located and, you know, things of that nature, just because it is a predominantly black school, just being honest. And I tell people all the time, well, hold on one, one minute, because the University of Houston is right across the street. I mean, literally, you can throw a rock and hit it. And so I've literally had coaches, uh, and I won't call their name, but told me that they didn't feel comfortable sending a student athlete to Texas Southern University because of the neighborhood that it was in. And I was like, coach, when I was at Houston, that wasn't an issue. And it's right across the street. So those are the dynamics, man, that you work against in, in, a, two, in, in a two schools. I think the first, the biggest thing is one being FBS and one being FCS, which is in, important because of that's the, it's, it's the resources now and the size of the university. I mean, at Houston, of course, the resources we had there, you know, it was just a lot more. And it, and it probably wasn't as much as the Texas, LSU, Alabama, Tennessee, Clemson, but it was still a lot more than what we have now at, at Texas Southern. I remember, man, and I hate to tell this story, but I remember leaving University of Houston, and, man, I was packing up pins and, and highlights and markers. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's that teacher in me, man. I'm, I'm making sure I got all of my utensils because I don't know what I'm going to have you know, when I move over. And so it was just funny, man. I came over there with all this stuff from U of H. I was like, man, I need all this stuff. But it was I had a great relationship with the guys at U of H. So when there were situations where we may have not had the resources, um, man, I, I, I was able to call those guys. And I was like, hey, man, you know, we don't have gloves. And my guys' gloves are busted, you know. And those guys are able to give me gloves and, and so my guys can practice. And so it, it's very unique being at, at both schools. I love where I am now. I, I think we're on the right track. We got the right leadership in place from the, from a school standpoint. 
as well as from our, our football program. But being in those situations, I, I think I've learned the difference between, I don't want to say the have and the have-nots, because it's not really a have-not, but it's definitely those who have more and those who don't have as much. I think it's probably the best way to put it. And it reminded me of being at the high school level where you don't have all of the resources, but you have to do more with less. And so that to me, I think it's actually made me a better coach because of where I am right now at the HBCU level. So the other thing I mentioned we would we would get back to and I think talk a little bit more. And I've kind of been, I guess, with, with coaches I've talked to recently, both on the podcast and just in general, kind of challenging this idea that I think as football coaches overall across the country, all levels, we do an outstanding job of being a great example of of this is how a team works, this is how a community should work, this is how we treat people, this is you know, this this is how we get along, this is how opportunities work within our program, etc. And we want those to be the examples, but, but I equated it to, and, and I've said this probably, this is probably the third time maybe I've, I've brought it up on the podcast that, you know, you look back and you look at your teams and it's important on every single team that you have leadership by example, that you have vocal leadership, but ultimately if it's only leadership by example, nothing's ever getting said, um, nothing's ever being pushed so that different actions are taken that you, you have to step out of, outside of saying, I'm just a leader by example, you know, guys, people will see this and lead that at some point you got to step up and make sure that you know, people are recognizing that, that, that this is why I do the things I do. And I think right now is a great opportunity for all of us, regardless of where we're at, what kind of community we live in, et cetera, to point out those examples, to ex- out, step outside of our program in some ways and say, this is what we do and this is how we need to expand it in our community, you know, being able to pull other people into that. You know, I mentioned to you the, the Cleveland Heights coaches here in the build the bridge program. Right. And, and for them, it wasn't like, let's, let's expand this. Let's, you know, as we're doing these things, let's, uh, let's make sure, you know, the, the parents who come to these events, we're going to shut down the, oppo- you know, the opposing side, they're all going to sit on one side, they'll get to talking and, you know, those, all those kinds of things, not just showing that we're an example, but now an opportunity for us to lead and to be a little bit more vocal, I guess, in, in our communities and to, you know, people we touch outside of our program. What, what are your thoughts on how we might be able to do that within, you know, the things that really drive us within our profession? Right. Well, I, I think the one thing that we have to understand as coaches is if the only example of leadership that our players see is the guy that has the whistle around his neck, then we're in trouble. Because that leadership should be in the locker room. And it should be in the locker room where they are being led by their peers, where there's uh, peer leadership. But I think the one thing that has always hit me hard and hit me in my heart is that, well, hold on, Coach. You keep saying that we need leadership. And coaches, we say this all the time. We need leadership. Anyway, we don't have any leaders. Guys won't step up. You're asking, as a high school coach, now I'm going back to being a high school coach, you're asking a 16-year-old to be a leader. How is he, how is he supposed to do that? And that's something you and I talked about before. How is that supposed to happen? And, I, and then we, you get to the college level, 
and we're screaming the same thing. We don't have any leadership. That's why we're losing, blah, 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 blah. And these kids won't step up. He's 19 years old. Like, what type of leadership do you expect? And I think that's where we kind of drop the ball is because we, we're the example of leadership, but we also have to teach leadership. It's a learned behavior. And so you have to be able to promote leadership, and then you have to be able to nurture it and teach young, young men how to lead. But the expectation that they're going to walk into a room and just know how to lead, it's very few players that have that type of charisma and, and those characteristics just walking into your room. And even those who are able to do it, at some point in their life, they've learned it from somebody or they learned it somewhere. And so I think as coaches, we have to do a better job of, of facilitating leadership and learning and teaching kids and students how to lead and then showing them that it's not only in football, but it's also in life. It's also outside of the football. It's also in your community. It's in your churches. It's in your homes. And I think that's our, uh, and, and I want to, and I'm, I'm going to call it what it is, that's our ministry as coaches because that's what we are. That's what we do. Because if the only thing a kid learns is, you know, open step, crossover, downhill, and read the A-gap defender by the time he graduates from high school, graduated from college, as coaches, we've done that young man a disservice. And so we have to be able to expose them to something greater than just football and I think it starts with being able to develop them as young men in their communities. So when they go out, they become productive citizens, man. But we can't make kids lead because they don't know how. They, they, are, they are students. I mean, I, and I think we forget that sometimes. And, you know, we want these young men to be something greater than what they are. But, man, they're going to make mistakes. And I was 19. I made a ton of mistakes. And, and I don't think I was nearly the leader that I am now at 19. But having somebody to help me coach like that is huge and i think that's what we got to do a better job of man and uh preparing them not only for football but preparing them for life and it starts with it starts with the coach i mean i mean i've made a big impact on my kids that i coach but it all started with somebody another coach who made an impact on me and i think that's where that's always been our our focal point as coaches it's always been our ministry and so i think when we don't accept it and embrace it I think we dropped the ball. Yeah, and you, you and I did talk about that concept of coaching really being being about teaching the part of how to get there, right? A- anybody can, and I think Vince Lombardi said it right once, like you know, coaches who can diagram a player a dime a dozen, right? But being able to, in this case, and talking about leadership, being able to get to their hearts, looking at the football side of it, you know, okay here's a stick route. All right, well, you know, <laughs> how do I get there? What are the steps? What are the things I need to do? What are the nuances versus all the different things I might face from a defense, et cetera. That is such an important part of, of coaching. And for you, it's that that's something that's driven you probably to, to learn more about this game, to learn more about, you know, how you develop men, how you develop leaders, et cetera, is, is the how, how to get there part. Absolutely. And, and I think the how we get there is, is important and I've always learned this and I've always felt this way is that repetition is the best teacher especially when it comes to getting young men to uh, effectively exemplify what you've taught them and so I want reps I want as many reps as possible I want if you know Johnny plays X and you know I want Johnny to get as many reps at that position as many reps of that play as possible and so the how for me is 
is the reps and being able to make sure that the things that I'm doing as far as my drills, they are in direct correlation to what I'm teaching or what they're going to be doing on the field. I'm not doing drills because I saw Coach McKinney do this drill at Texas A&M or uh, you know, Tommy Robinson did this this drill at LSU. Like I, I'm, I'm not doing that drill just to do it. I want to be able to do the exact drill that's going to correlate to the motions, to the movement that my running backs are going to do for that day. And I think those things are important because now they're developing the the repetition of doing those drills. Now they're doing it in individual, and now when they get to team it'll show up in team and it'll show up on tape. And so being able to show them this is the drills that we did and this is how it showed up on tape. I think those things are important of how to get there. So if I'm running the stick route, you know, I'm I'm watching this kid, you know, press his first three steps, boom, 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 you know, and he's just doing it on air. And then, you know, we may come back and now he's just, you know, stopping and turning around and being able to work part, part, whole, and you better put those things together. I think the how is important as a coach to be able to get a young man to really, really get what he's supposed to do so he can play fast and not be able to play with and play mistake-free football. But I think it starts with the repetitions of, of, of how many times you're doing things and how many times a young man is seeing the same thing over and over. Yeah, I think, Coach, it's it's become a little bit of my pet peeve that when I see a drill and somebody teaching a drill, I really want then – to see the game film right behind it that that correlates with it because there's so many drills out there and, and so many things we can do as a football coach. It, we, we don't just want, this isn't gym class just to do activities. Like, you know, we want that direct application. And I think so many, you know, young coaches and maybe even in youth coaches make that mistake. They see a really cool drill by somebody who has a cool logo on their helmet running that drill and they take it and then you know not understanding what was that drill designed for what is the scheme that it applies to because you know technique and scheme are all interrelated the game is always played in context so to say go just go run this drill well why are we running the drill what is it attached to what are the decisions that have to be made along that and and how does it apply to those plays we're running and the defenses we're going to face Right. I, I think the, the other thing too, coach, and, and that's important. And I learned this from Morris Watts and it, it was so important to me to learn this is that what you do and what I do an in individual has to be what we're working on for team. I mean, that was one of the like big thing that stood out to me because at, at first as a young coach, I mean, I, I was doing the drills and I knew the drills correlated to something that we were doing, but, if your individual, whether it's seven minutes, eight minutes, nine minutes, fifteen minutes, you get fifteen minutes of individual, man, you you got you're in a good situation right now. But whatever you're doing an individual has to be what you're doing the team. And and I think from a head coach's perspective, you've been a head coach before, you know if a guy gets to team and doesn't know what he's doing, man, that's probably one of the biggest pet peeves of most most head coaches around the country. So you have to know what you're doing, but he should have learned what to do in India. Sometimes, Coach, I'll be honest with you, I may have to cut my indie short to make sure that I get everything taught in individual so it can show up on team. Because the last thing I want as a position coach is to get to play four and we're running counter and 
my kid doesn't understand that he had some jab stuff because he I didn't get a chance to teach the jab stuff to individual. You know, that's you know, shame on you as a coach. So those things are very important. It goes back to the how as well and to making sure the players are successful on the practice field. Yeah, when that guy fails that test and team, you're you're failing as a coach as well. That I agree 100%. Yeah, you got to you got to teach it. Absolutely, absolutely, and and that you know that was key. I, I think I, I had a situation, man, where I had a receiver. I was coaching receivers at the time, and he he called out a route, he called out a play, and my guy had no idea, coach, what he was doing. Didn't have a clue, and. My response was, Coach, I didn't have enough time to end it. And, oh, man, that, that was the worst response ever. And so I, I knew then that will never, ever happen again. But he pulled me to the side and said, Coach, let me tell you something. I work with some of the greatest coaches across the country. The one thing that you do is you make sure everything that you do on the team is taught in Indy or taught in your classroom. Not having enough time is not an excuse. And I said, yes, sir, it will never happen again. And it never happened again. Well, Coach, I really have enjoyed the different things you've shared with us here today and a wide range of things, so I really appreciate that. But looking at all the things you do as a coach, you know, if I were to say, Coach, what's the, the one thing that really gives your guys the winning edge, what would that be? The fact that they, they're very competent in what they're doing when they get out on the field. And, and, that, and that all stems from the fact that they've been taught by sometimes what I, I call myself the best teacher in the game. I mean, you know, the one thing I said, there might be a better coach out there than me, but there's not a better teacher. So, Coach, I know you're the recruiting coordinator. What areas are you responsible for yourself? I am responsible for South Dallas as well as South Houston. So we recruit areas, and then I also recruit all of my running backs. And I I make sure that I I establish a relationship with all running backs. And then I, you know, kind of orchestrate and help the planning for everyone else that's in our, our recruiting department. And, and for our listeners out there, what's the best way to connect with you? The best way to connect with me is on Twitter at D-A-L-B-L-A-C-99. And I'm on Twitter always, man. You can DM me. You can be able to contact me via social media, and I'll make sure I get back with you guys. And if you guys are ever in Houston, man, just hit me up. I love to talk ball. love to get with any coach that wants to talk ball and, and better themselves. I'm always looking to learn. Just know that if you – if I give you something, I'm going to be looking for something in return. So make sure you come with some, some good information. Well, Coach, I, I appreciate everything you shared with us today and taking the time. And best of luck to you guys here as you get going in 2020. Coach, thank you so much, man. God bless you guys. Coaches, again, want to remind you of what we're doing with the football development model. Please push this down to your youth coaches. I think this is a great way for you to get some organization and structure beyond what you've already done. Check it out. All of our our program development for youth football at fdm.usafootball.com. Again, check out our systems for blocking, tackling, and defeating blocks at footballdevelopment.com. If you register with your email, you get your choice of three free videos. There's some great things in there. I think things that as you get going again, can get into the summer and maybe make up on some things that you might have lost if you had a spring ball, if you had time here in the spring to work on football. Some great drills for all those phases of contact. If you're enjoying the podcast, please have it over to iTunes or your platform and give us a five-star rate. If you have a minute, write a review. We really appreciate it, and we will read your review on our highlight show that we do at the end of the week.